I love easy ways to witchify my daily life. And I love the bath salts made by your friendly village witch, Belinda of Foxwand Apothecary. With blends such as self-love, anti-anxiety, sleep, new and full moon, you will find something perfect for you. Each one is also infused with magic and Reiki energy too. Try these bath salts as part of your spell work. Place them in a full bath. Use as a body scrub. Personally, I love a good full moon bath. You can use the code SUBURBANWITCH for 10% off all of their bath salts, and it's only for listeners of the Witch Talks podcast. Simply head to Foxwand Apothecary on Etsy, which is linked in the description below this episode. Welcome to Witch Talks, the series for spiritual seekers, witches, and enlightened souls. I'm Hannah the Suburban Witch, professional tarot reader, astrologer, and witch, and I hope you're ready to get up close and personal with your favorite witches. Hello, witches, and welcome back to another episode of the Witch Talks podcast with me, your host, Hannah O'Neill, the Suburban Witch. Let's jump straight into our Hannah, help me section today. Today's email comes in from Laura and Laura says, Hannah, you've mentioned setting up altars for different things such as ancestors, business, health, etc. But what does that entail? What do we include? Thanks, Hannah. So just as a side note, I have just put up a video of me doing my very own altar reset for my business. So this is a behind the scenes. I just set up the camera and filmed as I went about what I normally do. This is a bonus resource for anyone who is a part of the Suburban Witches Society, which is my private membership group. It's $30 per month or $300 for the year, which means you get two months for free. Remember that is Australian dollars. So if you are not using Australian dollars, it's probably going to be cheaper for you, especially if you're in the US or the UK. Now you get a whole bunch of other stuff, of course, with that, but the behind the scenes ultra reset, it is a video of me just going through and doing everything. So you can see in real time what I do. Now, altars are going to be different for everybody. Okay. There's no one right way to do it. Now, if you are Wiccan, there is specific rules you have to take into account, but I am not. And so I do it intuitively. For example, my ancestor altar is on a... It's kind of like a little shelf system. You might have seen it in some of my videos before, which was actually one of my ancestors. It is a piece of furniture that has been passed down to me. Now, upon that, at the very top, I have uh, some photos in various different frames. I actually found a bunch of these picture frames at uh, a little like flea market, which was, I think, just outside of Byron Bay. It doesn't matter. I got some really cute little picture frames. And then I have pictures of my ancestors. Now, one of the things with this is you don't want to put a picture that includes someone who is currently alive on your ancestor altar. Okay. Because that's usually not a good vibe to put, you know, someone who is alive in a place for the dead. So that can be seen as a bit of a no, no. So that's one rule that I do follow. I don't put live photos of people on, you know what I mean? Photos of living people on my altar. So as unfortunately that altar has grown with time, I've now got two different shelves, so two layers to it. But what I always have there is I have some items that were either gifted to me or uh, were dear to those family members. 
at my cousin's funeral earlier this year. My cousin loved to crochet. And what we did was we actually all took a big ball of yarn and handed it around to everybody so that we were all part of a circle. The yarn was tied to a cage of butterflies and we all pulled and the butterflies were released. Then we went around and everyone got to keep a section of that yarn. So I have put that next to their photograph on my altar. So it's just a bunch of special things to those people or that I relate to those people that are on the altar. And I always have a candle there and a small little cup of water. Some people like to have all of the elements represented and I technically don't have air, although I do cleanse it with smoke every now and then. And I figure sometimes, sometimes the fire aspect with the candle, when it goes out, there's smoke associated. It's kind of like two in one for me. I'm not too fussy about all of the elements. There is a crystal on there. I do put some azurite there because it's beautiful and it feels right for the space, but you need to do what's right for you. Then I have deity altars. I do have them kind of spaced separately. My main altar is for Thoth and there is a bunch of stuff on there. I actually need to do a full proper reset of that one as well and a clean and all of that, which I'll probably do around Letha, which for me is just before Christmas, being that I'm in the Southern Hemisphere. So I'll obviously film that and put that up as well. So you guys can watch if you want and see what I do. Now with my business altar, it's a little bit different because my business altar is for my business. So I have uh, usually got a crystal grid. I have moon water. For example, I made some moon water under the Taurus full moon. So it's associated with wealth. I call it wealth water. I put a bunch of money, like physical notes on like physical notes and money on that altar. I have a living plant there to show growth and I water it with my wealth water. I have my business cards kept there. You get the gist. And with deity altars, you kind of just want to lean into what that specific deity may or may not want and work around it that way. I like to make sure that most of the altar spaces have a candle. I cleanse them with smoke or I spritz them with a, an altar mist that I have. And that's about the gist of it. And then you just sort of keep it up. So I might add more money to my business altar. I might sit with it and pray to it or meditate with that altar in mind, sending energy to it and what it represents. There is lots of stuff around about putting your altar on a specific wall or facing east and all of that. And as someone with neurodivergence and very rigid thinking or literal thinking, when I read that, I get very confused. Like they say, set your altar up facing the east. Is that you set the back of the altar up so you're facing east when you're looking at the altar? Or is it so that your altar is then looking towards the east, you're facing towards the west? It was too confusing. And you know what? It's not necessary. Pfft, throw it out. Find wherever it's suitable for your home. Because as well, that just presumes everyone has random walls everywhere they can put stuff on. It's not the case. Find whatever you can do for you. And if you're in the broom closet, put it in a shoebox. Right? Have an altar shoebox. That's totally fine. Hide it under the bed. Hide it in your cupboard. When I first started, it was literally something that I kept in a box and I would set it up when I did my meditation or my tarot reading and then I would pack it all away so that nobody could see it. That's fine. It's still a legitimate altar. So Laura, thank you for your question. If you guys have a question, please send them through to suburbanwitchery at gmail.com and I can answer it here for you on the podcast. Now, for you lucky listeners of the Witch Talks podcast, I do actually have a discount code for you for my Suburban Witches Society, which is my private membership group. So if you want to input at checkout WTPSWS10, you can get 10% off your first month of membership. That code again is WTPSWS10. 
10. So this is which talks podcast, suburban witches society, and then the numerals one zero. Hopefully that's not too, too confusing. If you hear this and you're struggling with it, let me know. Happy to help you out. But it's only for listeners of this episode and it's only valid until the end of November 2023. Speaking of November, we are halfway through NaNoWriMo. Now, I'm recording this specific part of the podcast on the 14th of November. I haven't actually written today, but just as an update, I have written 16,500 words this month so far, which is below the expected. I should be around about 21,500. But I'm not. But that's okay. I can catch up. I did have a pretty rough start with about 12 days of uh, migraines. So that was really rough. But I'm back now. I'm feeling good. I'm about to ovulate. So it's just been a new moon. I'm Things are pumping. And I'm going to smash out these words. Now that's just for the NaNoWriMo goal. But all of that's going towards my bigger project, which those 16,000 words have actually pushed me over to 83,860 words. Did you hear that? 83,860 words. That is a shit ton of words. I am so proud of myself. 50,000 of it was from NaNoWriMo last year. And then there was like 16,000 in the in-between months and then 16,000 in the past two weeks. It's amazing. I'm almost finished. I I reckon in the next four days, I'm going to finish this novel. So book one will be done. Uh, and then I'll just keep writing on to book two. And then in December, I'm going to go into the editing mode and, you know, flesh everything out, make sure everything's tied up and neat and tidy. But I'm very, very proud of myself and so excited. And NaNoWriMo has just been wonderful. Even if people don't get the goal, the goal is really not so much the 50,000 words, but just writing, just to get you writing. So that's what I'm doing. Now, if you're also a writer, I do have the word, which is discord, which is a group that's free for access to anyone I'll put the link in the description box below and that's year round so you can come and join us over there and if you want an additional resource I have in the Suburban Witcher Society of course a new mini class which is on using witchy correspondences for world building and character development you do not want to miss that all right now let's jump into this episode a little word of warning this is one of the interviews that I did lose in the fiasco during the last Mercury retrograde so when it was recovered from my data recovery specialist I didn't get all of the files so I don't have the separate audio files and it made editing a little bit tricky still it is a wonderful wonderful episode and you are going to love it in this episode I'm chatting with Madame Pamita. She is a tarot reader, a spiritualist, teacher, author, spellcaster, and the proprietress of the spiritual apothecary, Madame Hamita's Parlor of Wonders. She's also the host of the Magic and the Law of Attraction podcast. And today we'll be diving deeper into her most recent book, Baba Yaga's Book of Witchcraft. So let's get into it. She is joining us via Zoom all the way from LA in California. Hello, Madame Hamita. Welcome to the show. Hi, Hannah. It's so wonderful to be here with you. Wonderful to be here with you. I'm very excited. I've been looking forward to this ever since I, I got my hands on your book. As soon as I saw it come out, I was like, I need that in my life and grabbed it, devoured it. And I've been like, I have to talk to you. Anyone who is a loyal listener of the show would have heard me a few times mention like, oh, I'd love to get her on the show. I'd love to get Madame Pamita on the show. <laughs> And I've mentioned your book quite a few times, so we can actually like dive right into it today as well, which is yay. Um, You're welcome. So I'm going to start with a tarot reading for you. Do you have a question or um, anything in mind that you want to ask? 
Yes, I'm thinking about making a big change in the next couple of years mm -hmm. to my business and I'm sort of planning that. And so I'd love to see what uh, the cards have to say, what you have to say about that. Okay, so what sort of change or like guidance around the change? Uh, yeah, I, well, I know what the change is going to be and anything I need to know about it. I don't, I can't really talk about the particulars of it right now, but it's, it's, um, it's something that will free me up to do more of the things that I love to do. So, All right. So let's just say some advice or guidance around the change that you're making. Let's have a look. I'm using Dark Mansion Tarot because it's just one of my faves, even if it's not the best at shuffling because it's got a really matte finish to the cards. Just one of those stickier decks. All right. So we have two cards here. The very first one is the Page of Pentacles. So for those watching along, uh, this one is, it's beautifully illustrated, but it has a page, which is a young person holding this beautiful big coin up. And you can see they've sort of veered away from this path because something over here looks beautiful or interesting or may make them money. Pentacles cards are very practical. Now with this one, I often get this feeling of, you know, focus, but like a focus on something because it's interesting or it's beautiful or that sort of an idea, right? Like you, something's caught your eye and you're like, oh, I'd love to like spend more time here. And so it takes you off the path a little bit. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I think you need to allow yourself to go off the path that you think you're supposed to go on, if that makes sense. So, and it's okay. One of the other things here is it's okay to slow down. So I think slowing down is a bit of the advice here. Take it slow. It's not a race. That path will be there whenever you want to go to it but allowing yourself to follow the things that light you up and follow the things that you think, oh, this could be exciting. This could be beautiful. This could, you know, make me money. This is a really good idea that I think, and it doesn't matter if it feels like you're starting from scratch again. So the pages kind of like go back to basics. They're younger because they, they want to learn new things. So you might feel like you're taking a step back, but it's going to be a good thing. Like that's, that's kind of what you need to do. All right. So that's some of the advice there. And I pulled an additional card to see some advice on like what not to do. And we got the 10 of cups reversed. So I'm going to show you what, obviously upside down, you're like, it's an upside down card. Flip it over so you can see it. But it came out re reversed. So this one we can see beautiful, happy family. They're like on a picnic. There's 10 cups on their umbrella. Uh, it's very, I get the vibes on, have you seen the movie, um, The Demon Barber of Fleet Street? What is it? Sweeney Todd? Oh, yeah, yeah, yep. yes. They, like, yeah. this one song sequence, they end up on the beach and they're all wearing, like, these old-fashioned bathers and they're having a picnic. That's the vibes I get with this card. <laughs> now, when we turn it upside down, so tens are often the end of a cycle, all right? And this is giving you advice on what not to do, right? So what it feels like is it's not quite time to say goodbye to everything. It's not a call to close off or shut that door, especially, especially for the things that are really close to your heart, the things that have brought you a lot of emotional satisfaction or fulfillment over the years, it's not quite the end. So it's not really like a shutting of those doors, if that makes sense. They could be paused, but definitely almost like leave it open for returning in the future is what I get from that. Because I think there's there was emotional satisfaction that came from that and this sort of harmony that came from that, that you can find again in the future as well. All right, but a break is okay. How does that all sound? 
It's so spot on. It's absolutely spot on. It really fits what is going on behind the scenes and is great advice, actually, um, and and sort of confirms what I have been musing on. Mm-hmm. Nothing has been put in motion yet, but it's things I'm planning for the future. Like, yes, like a couple of years from now. But I, I think this is absolutely great advice and confirms a lot of what I'm thinking. So I love perfect, it. perfect. I'm glad. Um, I. I love when questions are specific and it's, it's always, always the case. Everyone's like, ah, oh, it's, it's like people are like, I already knew this, like, or it rings true because I was already thinking that it gets a lot of the time tarot can be validation for where we're going. And that's what it is excellent for. I think, I think it's wonderful. Yeah. So yes. Do you read the tarot yourself? Yes, I do. And I've written a book actually about tarot. I have a book called um, Madame Pamita's Magical Tarot, which they're coming out with a new cover and a new forward by Matt Oren. Um, Amazing. I love Matt. He's been on the show. This is the, actually, this is the version that's out now, but it's going to have a new Uh, cover and it's going to be called Magical Tarot. They're changing the title and uh, it's going to have a forward by Matt Oren, as I mentioned. so, and I read tarot and I, I always see, just like you are saying, sort of paraphrasing what you're saying, I see tarot really as a roadmap. Mm-hmm. And so just like if you're looking at Waze or Google Maps or something like that, where it tells you, oh, take your normal route or no, don't take, there's a traffic jam, go a different route. I, I always love to see if I'm on the right path. And that confirmation mm-hmm. is actually just like looking at your map and seeing, yep, I'm on the right road. This is a good idea. Keep going forward and developing this idea. So, you know, not having shocking new news is not a bad thing. You know? Yes, <laughs> I agree. Way. I absolutely agree. And I think as well, just like your map analogy, which is fantastic, sometimes the tarot can show us a detour. It can show us like, you know what, but I really wanted to go and do this thing. It's like, okay, well, how can we do the thing and still be on path? Like how can we still get to our destination and do the thing? So that's an excellent, excellent way to look at it. I love that. All right. So I wanted to talk, so I know you've got a few books, right? You've got a few books and you've got some more coming out, but I did really want to focus in on Baba Yaga because she just, the whole concept and archetype of Baba Yaga just lights me up and I think it's wonderful. So with your book, um, and you've you've written several other ones, what was it, what is it about this one that's different to the other books you've written? And what was it that made you feel like you, you had to birth this book into being? Well, um, I'm half Ukrainian and um, I grew up doing, um, growing up in a family where we, we were raised Catholic, but we were doing folk magic. And this is a really a hallmark of Slavic magical practices is a lot of people are very religious, very spiritual, very traditional, but they still practice folk magic within that format. And a lot of these folk magic practices actually go back to uh, pagan times, pre-Christian times. Um, and so my mother would tell me stories about my grandmother doing these magical things, but we, I didn't have context. My grandmother died before I was born. And so my mom would tell me these stories and she didn't even have really words to, to tell in detail because her mother never trained her in these things. She would observe them, but she didn't have context or understanding or knowing what was happening. So for example, like my mom would say, well, um, you know, your grandmother would do a thing with like pouring wax into a bowl over someone's head. And it was kind of fortune telling, but it was also kind of healing. And that's all I had. And so this was always sort of sitting in the back of my mind, like, what was this? What was this? And um, when the internet came out, um, because there absolutely 
even to this day, is very little written about Slavic magic in English, and even very little written, of course, because in Soviet times, anything spiritual, anything that had to do even touched on Christianity in any way, um, even if it was pre-Christian, anything religious was really forbidden. And so there wasn't a lot of um, text or books or anything, even in Ukrainian or Russian or anything. So, um, and especially there's nothing in English. So with the internet, I'd always check in every once in a while to see if I could find something. But like, what are you searching for? Ukrainian wax pouring? You know, I didn't even know what to look for. And so um, what happened was I had a wonderful friend who's a Ukrainian Canadian. She has a shop that's called thewitchery.ca. Her name's Katie Carpets. And in her shop, she, I was looking, I always like looked at her shop because she had wonderful things in it. And I was sort of looking around one day and I see this book called The Word and the Wax. And then I see the description and it's describing this healing method of pouring wax into water. And I'm like, that's the thing that my grandmother did. And I immediately bought that book and, and it's a little slim book. It's not much, but it's, it was a, um, a doctoral thesis. So it was, um, a, a woman, uh, Rena Hanchuk, who I think first name is Rena, Rena Hanchuk would go to visit these healers and talk to them and get the, as much information as they were willing to share. So I, it blew my mind. It just like blew the doors open. When I found that, if I, I said, oh, if I can find this, then I can find all the other traditions that my grandmother did and, you know, sort of were passed down in verbal form by my mother. Well, I was very mistaken. <laughs> I thought, oh, there's going to be all this information out there. There is information out there, but I actually had to learn how to look, to read Cyrillic, to translate things, to put in things. So it became this enormous task. And like I say, Baba Yaga, as we get into understanding who Baba Yaga is, she gives you impossible tasks because not because she wants to thwart you but because she knows you can do it so this became an absolutely like beyond difficult task to create and get all this information and translate it but i was able to do it lots of tears lots of frustration <laughs> lots of all of that but that's how i found this information and, and then converted it into english and put it in some format that people could consume it so that is that is a mammoth effort. So you had to teach yourself Cyrillic. Is that what it's called? Yes, the Cyrillic reading. And I mean, I'm still learning. You know, I still have a tutor and I'm learning it, you know. But, um, you know, just to be able to start to translate things, even with Google Translate, mm. Google Translate isn't quite effective and will translate words that are especially obscure esoteric words. We'll translate them into other words like, um, uh, for example, um, curses don't translate as curses, it translates as lessons. So I would see like, you know, this when you have lessons, and I'm like, lessons, what lessons are they talking about? But it's the same word for curse and lesson, but lesson, of course, is more common. And so they would translate in that. So mm -hmm. these are the kinds of things that I was confronting and learning. And, and if it weren't for my wonderful 
group of amazing Ukrainian friends and people who could translate things, I'd be like, what does this mean? Or I'd find a video where someone was doing um, some kind of magical um, ritual. And I'd say, what are they saying? What are they saying? I don't understand what they're saying. And so um, I have a wonderful group of amazing um, Ukrainian people who were able to translate for me. And, and this was, um, it took a village to make this book. It really, really did. And I thank them I all in the beginning of the book. Yeah. How, how long did it take you, like this whole process, how long did it take you to, I guess, to write the book and to compile all this information? Well, that's an, an amazing story in itself, because from the the moment when you write a book, when you start to write a book, you start out with a proposal. So you have to write a proposal for a book. You don't write the whole book and then turn it into the publisher. Usually you reach out to your editor and you say, hey, I have an idea. What do you think of this idea? And they're like, yeah, great. Okay, go write a proposal. And the proposal is a chapter, an introduction, table of contents, and some other information that you put in there. And then you present that to them. And then they present that to the publishing team. And then they either say yay or nay, or make some adjustments or whatever. So uh, it took about a year and a half of writing before, and then a year for the edits and the publishing. So it was like two and a half years between the concept coming into mm -hmm. my mind and the actual book coming out. But what was phenomenal is that um, I'm a spiritualist. And so I, Baba Yaga was really like saying, you got to write this book. And my grandmother's spirit was saying, you've got to write this book because remember it's the practices are solitary magic practices um, in the context of like Baba Yaga would know all these things or share all this information. But those dual spirits were really pushing me to do this. Meanwhile, this was back in 2018 that I would have been working on this. Um, and we had no clue that what was going to happen with mm. the invasion of Russia going into Ukraine and attacking Ukraine. And that book came out right at the beginning of the invasion when people were looking at Ukraine and looking at Eastern Europe. And I feel like this is that the spirits really guiding me with divine timing to get on this book now when Ukraine and, and Eastern Europe is in the news. Mm. So we had no clue at the beginning of this process that that would be when it would come out. It was not planned or anything. And so it was just this beautiful divine timing when people wanted to support Ukraine and protect um, the people and protect these old ways. When we see this devastation and destruction, which destroys folkways, when people are, are in a diaspora and they have to go to another country or even another part of their own country, they lose the folkways that are of their region. And this has happened time and time again in Ukraine. My own grandparents, this is where they left Ukraine under very similar circumstances as to what's going on now. They left at the beginning of the 20th century. And, um, you know, when that happens, you get assimilated into the new culture, you know, like for me, I didn't know any Ukrainian words except for the food words, because that's the only ones and, and some holiday words, you know, holiday greetings and things like that. I didn't speak it. My mother didn't even speak it. She could understand it, but she couldn't speak it. So, you know, to preserve these things is so important. And during, you know, any kind of diaspora or when there's a kind of uh, active 
a suppression of a culture, which is also what happens when during Soviet times there was active uh, either co-opting of culture and saying this is Russian when it wasn't, it was Ukrainian, or uh, suppress, suppressing or just scattering people so that they lose their communities. We have to reclaim these things and it's just uh, so important, you know. Yeah, when you were saying that it came out right when everything happened, I got full body shivers and chills and just like that confirmation of it came out exactly when it was needed. And I think it's probably helped a lot of people who were uh, also feeling all of the emotions that come with that, if that was their heritage, to then find a way that they can connect and, and bring that back in as well. So I think that's really, really beautiful. And, I mean, I'm I am not... Slavic or anything. My my ancestry on my uh, on one side is Dutch and the other side is is Irish and a little bit of Scottish and English. So it's it's removed. But I totally understand the idea of feeling that disconnect from ancestors and everything because you know on one side mine were actually a convict <laughs> and then on the other side um, they left. You know my grandparents left Holland and and came to Australia and they didn't want anything. You know to sort of, I guess, get in the way of their kids being Australian. So they didn't, they taught them Dutch, but they didn't really speak Dutch at home and all of that. They wanted them to blend in and fit in. So uh, a lot of things were, you know, lost in translation kind of. So uh, I understand that aspect. Now, the way you wrote this book, I think, or formatted, set up the book, however you want to say it, I loved. I thought it was wonderful. So for anyone who hasn't read the book, each chapter starts with a little section of a is it a, is the story a, a common folk story or did you create it well it was okay so um the book the story that goes is woven through mm -hmm. is kind of an adapted and expanded version of a story called vasilisa the fair or vasilisa the beautiful or vasilisa the wise it's mm -hmm. got different different variations of it but what I did was I expanded that story. Um, you know, for example, the little girl goes to meet Baba Yaga. Well, in the story, she just leaves. And then the next thing she's at Baba Yaga's hut. But I expanded that story and that journey to go to the hut because I wanted to introduce some other characters and some other ideas and concepts and magic and things that happen along the way. So like that part's expanded and there's other parts that are expanded in the fairy tale, but it's based loosely on that um, Vasilisa the, the wise or Vasilisa the fair. Yeah. Oh, I loved it. It was one of those, and I've never seen that before. So basically for everyone, there's a folk story basically. And a little section of it is told at the beginning of each chapter. And that section has to do with what the chapter is teaching on. And then the chapter has what Baba Yaga would say in her own voice. And then what Madam Pamita would say in your own voice. And it's just wonderful. And there's, there are spells, there is practical things. When I got the book, I even got the, the little circle with the cross stitch things to do. Yeah. And I, ha I haven't braved it yet. I've never done cross-stitch, but I'm very keen to. I have a friend who is a cross-stitcher and she's like, you know what, we'll have a nana night. I'll come over in my pajamas and we'll do it and we'll watch some Pride and Prejudice or something, you know. <laughs> we'll learn how to do it together. So I will absolutely be be experimenting with some of that. But it was, it's just such a, what's the word? It it brings ordinary things and makes them magical and it also gives the history of why those things were used as well for protection, for healing, and it just became a part of everyday mundane life. I thought it was, it just captured my imagination and it captured my heart. I think it was wonderful. So what 
what was it that made you think of that that unique concept for each chapter layout that it all kind of then blends into this one story? It, I just thought it was very clever. What what brought you that idea? Well, in the original proposal, I had a chapter about Baba Yaga. So I was, um, I think the original version of it was just Baba Yaga would talk and then, oh, and in fact, if the original version, this is great if anybody's a writer out there, the original version was a mess. The first draft of this <laughs> was an absolute mess. I had, um, you know, I had originally had the concept of like Baba Yaga talking in her voice. And then I'm sort of sharing some things, but my editor's like, I can't tell where you begin and she ends. I can't really, it's not really divided up in that way. And and originally I had had a chapter describing Baba Yaga or talking about Baba Yaga to introduce her. And then we would hear her voice throughout the book, right? But I felt like, no, because it's not enough to just, and she's too big to even write about in one chapter. And I wanted to have, I actually, I just feel like this was like the muses really coming through me. And I had that moment where the inspired moment, I'm like, oh, why don't I take this fairy tale and weave it through? And so that way she's completely going throughout the book. You're like getting to know her more and more. It's a process of getting to know any spirit, any Mm -hmm. goddess or deity or spirit. And what ended up happening in the end result, which I feel like this is those moments where you really are channeling something that is beyond you as a creator, writer, musician, artist, whatever. When something comes through you and you look at it, then you're like, it's revealing something to you as the writer. Mm. It's almost like you channeled it and then it reveals something to you. And one of the things that this, this format revealed to me was that the whole story is about initiation. The young, the young girl Vaselina is being initiated as a witch. And spoilers, spoiler alert, at the end, she becomes, you know, a witch herself, mm. a different kind of witch. She's not Baba Yaga, but she becomes a witch. And the reason she becomes a witch is because she's tested and she goes through initiation process. The book if you follow the book and you read it in order and you start to practice these things, you will be initiated. You will have the initiation process. And that initiation process, it means going to meet the initiating spirit or being or teacher or whatever. So it it you actually go through the process as you read the book. And that was revealed to me after the book was done. Mm-hmm. Like, wait a minute. She's initiated and we're initiated as we do this. And I was initiated as I did the process of the book, for sure, for sure. Absolutely. Can I read a little bit out? Is that okay? Yeah. All right. So um, I wanted to read out. So there's the part with her hut, and I think it is wonderful. And what I also loved is when I was learning about Baba Yoga, which, by the way, is Baba Yaga unique to Ukrainian culture, or is or is there a few countries that have that that type? So all all Slavic countries have a version of Baba Yaga. What we have gotten is the Rus- Russian version because um, if you know a little bit about folklore, folk stories, folk tales, in the mid eighteen hundreds, the Brothers Grimm were collecting folk tales in Germany, 
And they were just going to average people and say, tell us a story, tell us a fairy tale, tell us a folk tale. These are oral tradition stories that they then copied down. Then they published these books. So this was the beginning of like folklorists and people that would collect these things. So there was an, a Russian author, Alexander Afanasyev, and he said, oh, well, they're doing that for Germany and they're having great success. I'm going to go do that in our communities in Russia and I'm going to find these stories. So he was the first one to write these tales down that feature Baba Yaga, among other things. I mean, there was not every tale that he told had that, but this was a, a character who often showed up in these stories. And Baba Yaga is the, is the Russian pronunciation. But what we find is in all the Slavic countries, there's a version of Baba Yaga. And it could be Baba Yaha, it could be Yezi Baba, it could be, um, there's, you know, there's all these different names, but they all have common characteristics. She's an old crone, she's very powerful, she lives in the woods, she has a long nose, she has, she's ugly, she's powerful, she flies through the air or goes along the ground in a mortar and pestle. So all of these things tie them together. She just has many different names. And mm. she shows up in every Slavic country from Poland down to um, from to the former Yugoslavian countries, you know, Croatia and Serbia and so on. We have variations of her showing up in all these countries and Ukraine, right, being smack in the middle, of course, has a version too. Yeah. Oh, love it. So the part I want to read out, this is in Baba Yaga shares the wisdom of the Katinka and Pukut. Did I pronounce that right? The Khata. The Khata. Is Khata the- okay. It's like a small one, yeah. The is the hut, her uh-huh. little hut. So this is from her voice. It's basically the story is showing that um, we've basically found this hut and it's it's on chicken legs, uh, which I think is just wildly hilarious and so funny and I love it. You can see it on the front of, of the book. It's on chicken legs and it's surrounded by this fence that is made of bones. Some of, you know, there's human skulls, there's animal skulls, all of that. Zaklinanya? Zaklinanya is the magic words. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So it's the, the one about the magic words just before we get into the actual hut itself. And she says, and now you get to meet my lifelong companion, my khata. My, I'm going to pronounce it wrong. My khatinka. <laughs> my little forest hut surrounded by its fence posts of bone topped with skull lanterns. Your feelings of dread or even curiosity may turn to terror once you notice that there is a gap waiting for just one more skull. Whoever lives here may be looking for that last human skull to collect the whole set. We all love to complete a collection, don't we? I love that sort of element of fear and curiosity that is toyed with, with Baba Yaga. And if anyone, if anyone is familiar with our the idea of this witch that lives in the woods and this witch that lives in this hut and especially the witches that are a little bit mean or a little bit harsh, a little bit uh, hard to get to. I I tend to think if you've ever seen The Witcher, we've got this scene in there where they talk about um, she has to go and visit this hut and she has these magical words to go and see the hut. I think it's like little hut, little hut something like that. I can't remember. I watched that a while ago when it came out. Um, And then there's also in Studio Ghibli, they've got um, Spirited Away. And in Spirited Away, there is, I think they call her um, Zibaba as well. So there's that element there as well. And it's almost kind of like tricksters, like 
they trick you a little bit into doing something and then you have to kind of trick them back and show that you actually did the thing. There's the little tests that Baba Yaga seems to to put through and, and do that. And I just think it's lovely. It's like, I don't know, I just love it. It makes me light up this like grandmother image of like this kind of trickster, harsh grandmother that's actually kind of doing it to help you in the end. Yeah, absolutely. I often say that um, Baba Yaga is like, you know, people will come to me and say, oh, I want to be a devotee of Baba Yaga. And I say, well, if that's great. I'm actually, you know, that's gratifying to hear that. I love that. But be prepared because she is an, an initiatory spirit. And just like I, an Olympics coach, if you want to be an Olympic gymnast and you want to win the gold medal, an Olympics coach would say, great, okay, let's do it. Um, but you're going to have to come here 10 hours a day, seven days a week and practice. And in the beginning, you may be like, great, I'm going to do it. And then six months into it, you're like hating your coach, hating your life, you know, all of those things, because that's the, the coach isn't doing it to punish you. The coach is doing it because the coach sees something in you that you are potentially a gold medal athlete. They wouldn't mess around with you if you weren't if they didn't see the potential. And I always think of Baba Yaga being like that tough coach who's going to push you harder and make you suffer and make you do things that you aren't think that you don't think that you can do because they know you can actually do it. Mm. And that's why they're pushing you that hard. So when people want to be a devotee, I'm like, okay, but be prepared. You're going to be frustrated. You're going to be irritated. You're going to be um, sad. You're going to have tears. You're going to be raging because that is part of the initiation process where you're pushed beyond your limits. This writing this book was that for me, where I was like pushed way beyond my limits. I'd written two big books before that. I've written other things as well, but those two books were a walk in the park compared to this one because I didn't have to translate things. I didn't have to footnote everything. I didn't have to research everything and discover everything. Candle magic. I wrote a book on candle magic. I've been doing candle magic for 40 years. Ugh, it's nothing for me. You know, tarot. I've been doing tarot for 40 years as well. It was nothing for me to write those books. It was a little bit of research and it was writing, but it wasn't this where I had to learn in another language and discover and search and come to many dead ends when I was looking for things and and pushing farther so you know that's that's what happens when you're doing that so she is that tough grandma but she's actually like a tough coach who believes in you more than you believe in yourself mm. is she more than you can you believe you can achieve is she um one thing that I kind of got from it is there are some spirits that we would go to and they don't really cast any judgments on whether someone is true of heart or um, anything like that. And if you want something, they don't really care who's in the right or wrong. They'll just help whoever's asking them. But I get the feeling that she does have these like, even though she's very harsh on the exterior, these like deeper values and looking for people who are actually worthwhile helping. Does that sound right? hundred percent, a hundred percent. If I went to an Olympics gymnastic coach at 59 years old and say, I want to be an Olympic gymnast, they would turn me away. I don't have what it takes for numerous reasons. <laughs> Number one, I'm 59, <laughs> but you know, I'm not a gymnast. So they wouldn't waste their time. And I don't think she wastes her time. And in fact, in many stories, there's often stories where there's 
two daughters. One is sometimes it's kind of a little bit like Cinderella. There's one stepdaughter who's like lazy and bad. And then there's the good girl, right? And so the good, the good girl will come to her and she'll give her a bunch of tasks and she will diligently work to do these impossible tasks and will be clever and figure out ways to accomplish them. That's what happens even in this story. But in the story, then the, the, the stepmother will say, oh, well, you know, this, my stepdaughter can do uh, my daughter can do all these things and get these rewards too and they send the lazy girl to do it and the lazy girl is mean to the animals doesn't do anything doesn't doesn't think beyond and doesn't accomplish the tasks and then baba yaga destroys her in some way mm. so i think that that i don't think i don't think she's going to destroy you the spirit is not going to destroy you but i, I think she doesn't suffer fools gladly. If you're there just to dabble, if you're there not to, to work, she will not give you the gifts. She will not give you the magical gifts. But if you are there and you are really willing to put in the effort and do the work, this is what an initiation process is. And understanding that in ancient times, in pagan times, in Slavic lands, and in many, I mean, in many cultures, we have this where they have an initiation process. So whether you're going to be a warrior or you're going to be a healer or you're going to be a magic worker or you're going to be a, you know, fisher person or you're going to be a, you know, a farmer, there's an initiation process that happens and the initiator tests you not to, to, you know, say you're not, not ready to punish you, but so that you can see for yourself that you're ready and everyone else can see that you're ready to, to be initiated into the group of warriors or the group of healers or whatever it is. So if you're lazy and you don't do your homework and you don't do the work and you go to the, the initiator, which by the way, in Tripillion times, which is 7,000 years ago on the lands that are now um, Romania, um, Moldova and Ukraine, there were these huts that were shaped like animals that had legs and those were the initiation huts so you would go inside the the animal that was like the clan animal or the group animal the family animal of the village you would go into a hut that looked like a wolf or a bear or a beaver or whatever it was i don't know if they have beavers <laughs> wherever whatever kind of animals they have there but you would go into this hut and you would be initiated and if you were turned away you just had to come back the next time and you might learn a lesson like you know you have to work a little bit harder to get into this group baba yaga does not give certificates of participation she does not give honorable <laughs> mention you have to do the work if you're going to work with her but when you do work with her she will give you magical gifts amazing things that will be so enlightening for example, like having a book that comes out at the exact perfect time for that book to come out is an mm. example. No. Mm. I have a small sh story to share. When I was reading your book and I was almost finished, I think I used to try and read a chapter a night. That's kind of my go-to when I'm trying to push through a book. And I was like, yeah, reading, reading, reading. And we had some pretty, pretty horrible neighbours in the the way of very noisy, consistently throwing parties, all of that. And we'd spoken to them. We'd done all the nice, normal things. And there was one particular night and I'd already been outside and asked them to, to please keep it down. They'd woken me, my husband, my kids, like my toddler, which waking a toddler at midnight or 1am, 2am, never fun. 
Anyway, at 4 a.m., I'm back out there again like, guys, please, can you keep it down? I'd called the cops three times. They turned up. They turned it down for a minute and then straight up again as soon as the cops went. Like, it was just so far beyond. The whole street, everyone in the street was knocking on their door trying to get them to be quiet. And finally, I think 5 a.m., I went out again and I was standing up on a chair over the fence going, like, I haven't gone to bed yet. You guys are driving me nuts. And they were like, oh, don't listen to her. She's just a crazy neighbour. And I was like, oh, how dare you? And I stormed inside and my husband was like, just, I don't know, put headphones on. I don't know. I was like, I'm just, mm, I read something about this. I was like, I read something about bad neighbours. I'm going to do it. <laughs> Pulled out your book and I was like, where is the bad neighbour spell? So I'm like flicking through and it's like the garlic one. It's under the, there's like a whole section on garlic, which I love. And I was like, I have garlic. And so I've throwing all this stuff together and um you know 5 a.m it was literally the sun was just coming up so it was perfect liminal timing and I was feeling all of the feelings so there was a lot of energy getting put into this did this little jar snuck out the front hit it on their property um and then went went back to bed anyway um the next day it was again that sort of like moment where something happens that I th- I'm like, this is magic at work, right? My husband's like, you know what? I think I saw um, the the real estate agent that they're with. I think I think I saw them come past the other week. I was like, do you remember the name? And he's like, yeah, I think it was this. So he told me the real estate. I was like, I'm going to contact them. So I, contact- I just sent an email saying this is what happened last night, attached to some footage of how loud it was from inside our house, um, and this is what they said. And the email came back, I'm not kidding, in like two minutes thank you, this is like the icing on the cake that we needed for them to go and they got evicted. And I was like, whoa, that was so fast. And, you know, I'd asked him before, I was like, why didn't you tell me the last 20 parties they had that you had that that information for me? And he's like, I didn't know, it just came to me then. I was like, oh. <laughs> so that was that was amazing and like instant validation for that so um yeah they can they took their noisiness elsewhere (laughs) (laughs) there's somebody else's problem now not yours yeah and look that wasn't the only thing I think the windows were always smashed in there was I'm sure there were other things there that they were probably not keeping that place very very well tended to um all sorts of stuff so Yes, I'm glad that it sort of gave me that inspiration that I'd read and been like, I have something for this. I can use this. And it was, and it worked very well. So props to you. With a lot of the spells in there, did you, are they your own creation? Are they a mix of your own and ones that you've found in your research? Well, I'm a folk magician. And so I know lots of different folk magic um, systems and things from my, you know, my dad's side of the family, I'm Scots and English. And so um, from, you know, that, uh, you know, the the sort of British magic and all of that, the Celtic and, and the English magic and, um, and of course, American magic as well, hoodoo, which is African-American folk magic, um, you know, just all the kinds of different folk magic that we have here in the States as well. So I knew those systems and what's amazing to me. And then also I'm in Los Angeles where we have 
um, a very big uh, population of Latino people, of course, Mexico and, and Central American people living here in Los Angeles. So we have a very, um, I, I would say this is um, really the culture of Los Angeles because uh, of course this land was once part of Mexico as well. So um, knowing all these different systems that I either practice or have been around or have been exposed to, um, I see more commonalities with magic than I see differences. We might like, for example, a great example of this is there's an egg cleansing in Ukraine where you take an egg and you use it to remove evil eye energy or any negativity and you, and you roll it over the body. That exists in curandorismo, which is the Mexican folk magic practice, healing practice as well. So we see a lot of these things. So they have a different flavor, like a slightly different flavor, but it's like kind of like, you know, pasta in Italy and pasta in China, right? China, obviously pasta came from China, but we have a different variation of it in Italy and so on. And so we see these variations because people share things. These things are very old or they spontaneously you know, people figured out that eggs had this property and I don't know which it is. It goes back so far. It goes back to before any kind of records or anything like that. This is folk magic traditions that are passed down. So when I delved into this, I did see very unique things like the wax pouring and the spirit dolls, the motanki, which are the spirit dolls. Um, you know, these different things, but you can kind of see their cousins to other things. So like, you don't use a, a the, the spirit doll as a house for your ancestor's spirit. You don't see that in poppets. Poppets are usually done for sympathetic magic, but you can kind of see their cousins. So as I was looking at all of this, there were definitely revelations and new things that explained things that my mother had told me or that we did with, you know, my family did, but I didn't know the reasons behind them or what they meant, you know, it was just something that we did. But um, I also saw, like I had a framework because I have been studying folk magic for decades. So, and practicing folk magic for decades. So I was able, it wasn't like I was completely new to all of it. So, yeah. Yeah. So those, the spells that you've got in there, are they all your own creation then? No, no, no. So these are spells that were actually found and footnoted and found. Uh, some of them I adapted or made so that, you know, like if you don't have, obviously if you don't have a field most of us don't have field ukrainian culture is mostly agrarian culture and farming farming culture and certainly a hundred years ago the vast majority was agrarian and farming culture so there'll be things like what do you do with your cow well we don't have a cow so i mean i could share those rituals and things but it's not you're not going to practice those so how can we adapt those and practices so some of it's adapted and modernized a little bit but it all has the basis in in the foundation of the practices that of the traditional folk magic practices i will admit i didn't read the footnotes <laughs> so right. I <laughs> totally okay that's there for the nerds like me who like i want to find out where i want to learn more and i want to look at it yeah. but um like things like i mean a great example of that is when we talk about fire magic and we talk about the uh we talk about the peach which is the old wood stove that is in the traditional kata. we don't have wood stoves i don't have a wood stove i have a fireplace and i you know that's a way you can do that but i give options for like um you can do this in a cauldron or you can do this in if you have a fire pit in your backyard or if you're going camping and you make a little fire you can do these things so 
um, you know, I kind of take it into because we don't have these things like a big giant wood stove. I describe it because it's so fascinating to understand where this magic comes from. But how do we bring this into our 21st century lives when we don't depend on a wood stove to survive the winter, you know? Mm. Two things. Um, and I'm probably going to forget the second one by the time I say the first one. You mentioned about everyone having a field and it being um, a lot of grains. Is it? I don't know if you know. I feel like in my head, the Ukraine is one of the biggest suppliers of wheat. Is that correct? Yes. So they're wheat and rye are the big production grains that they're and actually you know this is one of the things that's happening with the war is that russia was stealing a lot of the grain that was produced last year and then holding it or giving it and holding it hostage and and there are it's not just ukrainians who depend on this grain ukraine was known as the breadbasket of europe because the soil is so incredibly rich there's this type of soil called um black soil black earth that is the most fertile soil and ukraine has like 30 percent of the world's black earth so this is a very very fertile land which is why it's often disputed and why we have people always wanting to take over this land because it's valuable land it's very valuable land so that's why there's a history of ukraine being overtaken by poland overtaken by lithuania overtaken by russia and overtaken by the Soviet Union because it's a valuable land. Now what's happening is that um, grain is being held by Russia and being held hostage. We're not going to give it to Africa because we want to make sure that you know we're in charge or whatever shenanigans that they're pulling because they you know are trying to assert themselves or make um, you know make Ukraine give up and all of these things or make the world pressure Ukraine to give up, which has had actually the opposite effect that really the world has united apart from a few countries has really united behind Ukraine and this bull that um, Russia is doing. So yeah, I know my my husband's in the the Air Force here in Australia. And uh, they've had some of the squadrons have been dropping things over there already. And they've been doing that for, for months. My friend's husband has been away more than he's been home doing that. And I know his own squadron is, is protected. I, I never know all the details. It's always like, oh, this could happen. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> we'll see. Um, and he's away at the moment as well. So uh, no idea what's happening. But he has told me, he's like, oh, Europe might be on the cards. Ukraine. And I was like, oh, cool. Glad we're helping. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad to see that that everyone has rallied around. I, I'm going to, because we're talking about this already, is there anything that you know of that people can do to support the Ukraine through all of these efforts? What can our listeners do to, to help? Well, I think I always post lots of ways that people can help. And really, I have a hashtag over on Instagram, which is um, do one thing for Ukraine every day. And that may sound like a daunting prospect to be able to do one thing for Ukraine every day. That's a big demand, but actually you can do small things. And those small things are like little drops of water that I envision being growing into a big tidal wave that pushes Russian troops back across their own borders and restores Ukraine. So things can be like to seek out um, Ukrainian bands and music, for example, find Ukrainian creators. I do a thing um, that I host every Wednesday. It's probably the worst time for people in Australia, <laughs> but it's at, um, it's probably super early in the morning for you guys, but um, I do at 7 p.m. Pacific time, which is two hours from now, 
um, or an hour from now. Um, That'd be I, middle of the day for us here in Australia. Oh, okay, great. Okay, so at, at 7 p.m. Pacific time, I, I host, uh, I have a friend in Kiev, and he has a small grassroots organization where he um, buys groceries for seniors who are homebound and who are living on these very small pensions and are stuck where they are because they can't go someplace to another country because they can't work in another country. So the seniors are stuck there. They can't leave. And, and he feeds seniors in Kiev and he feeds seniors in Zaporizhia, which is in the war zone. And he has a small team, just a few people, and they buy groceries and they deliver groceries to 200 seniors over the course of a month. They want they go once a month to deliver two weeks of groceries. $40 buys two weeks of groceries. And um, we I do a thing that I call Tarot for Kindness. And he and I get together and we stream it over YouTube. So if they follow if people follow me on YouTube, I'm Madam Pamita on Twitter, if anyone's still on Twitter, <laughs> at Madam Pamita and at Facebook at Madam Pamita. And you can find this and you can join us live. I do tarot readings for $10 a card and you can make a donation over Venmo, PayPal and all the places. And then 100% of that money goes to feed these seniors. And that's a wonderful thing that you can do. And I love it because it's like no administration on this. It's one person, me, donating 100% of the proceeds in fact, you know, I pay for the, the part that Venmo takes or PayPal takes. I cover all that part as well. But we take 100% of those proceeds. And then Yvonne, my friend in Kiev, he buys the groceries and he and his team distribute them to the seniors. There's no overhead. There's no administration. There's no advertising. There's none of these other expenses. It actually goes to make the difference between these seniors who are deciding between their medications and food. I mean, that's the level of... Some of these seniors, the stories are incredible. They, they, they've met some of these seniors and gotten some of these seniors because they've been begging for, a, a, will you please buy me a loaf of bread? That's how desperate things are there and desperate for these seniors who cannot work. To, some of them are their 80s and their 90s. Some of them are disabled and they can't go out and work and they can't leave. So in this horrific situation, we can be a little bright light. We can make a difference. And this is the thing that I'm doing. But you can do things like follow follow Ukrainian creators on your favorite social media, like their posts, comment on their posts. Even if you comment in English, oh, that's beautiful, or a little blue heart and a yellow heart or whatever. These are wonderful things that you can do because that's the fuel that makes them know they are not alone. And when we are dealing with people who are oppressed, any anybody i learned this technique when we were having in the states people attacking muslim people and when this whole thing was going on with you know trump and all this stuff one of the things that i was taught was don't go to the person who's attacking and get in their face go to the person who is being attacked and sit with them and say are you okay Tell me about what's, you know, are you okay? Can I do anything for you? And talk to them because that's what's needed is for us to ally with the people who are suffering, who are being oppressed, to let them know they are not alone, that they are not alone in this situation. And, and just even a comment on a post can make someone feel a follow, a comment, listening to the music, learning about the culture, reading things, buying a book about Ukrainian magic, all of it helps because it all shows 
the people that are suffering that they're not alone we can't be there fighting i would more than anything want to be over there and be helping but i would be a burden because they'd have to house me feed me and all of that but i can send money to people who are already there on the ground and make a difference so thank you (laughs) fantastic fantastic tips fantastic ideas i love all of that so thank you so much for giving some useful practical and easily accessible tips for everyone i think that is wonderful and i'm never afraid to get you know political on my podcast and talk about these things because they matter and it's important and we need to share and we need to help each other we need to stand up and help especially people who are oppressed absolutely very much aligns there is the other thing that i wanted to ask ah we got it for anyone listening i'm not on my adhd medication at the moment so (laughs) my brain's like can we hold it together (laughs) you've got to okay we all do well well, not we all do but I find a lot of magical practitioners tend to so much energy and ideas up here can anybody work with this type of magic or is any part of it closed I look at this as an open practice that's my opinion and my take on it I don't know too many people that look at it as a cold as a closed practice there is sort of a funky I will say there's a funky small group of um, people who just like in Germanic magic there's some basically racist people who look at it as white supremacy you know thing and there is a little bit of that in some Slavic magic it's very small but um, they might look at it as a closed practice. I look at it as an open practice. As long as you acknowledge where it came from, you're not saying, you know, Baba Yaga is, I don't know, whatever other country, you know, American. Baba Yaga is not American. If you're if you're doing that or you're taking it or mis, sort of misappropriating it, um, that's a problem. But most people are not doing that. In fact, everyone I've met has always, you know, acknowledged where it comes from. Um, so I think it's, it's a very open practice and something that anyone that's curious about can jump into, can look at if you feel attracted to it. We have, I have loads of people that have come from lots of different cultures who are like, I, she's calling me, or I feel I, I want to work with her or, um, and I'm always like, yes, that's great. You'll be working hard, but (laughs) you know, so yeah. yeah. With, um, with a lot of what you've got in the book. One thing that I really loved was how crafty it was. I'm very crafty myself, but there is, you know, there's cross-stitch and embroidery. There is weaving. There is a lot of cooking style magic. There is a lot of, you know, floral wreaths. There is these corn dolls. Everything is like these things that you make with your hands and you put your energy into and a real emphasis on the state of mind that you're in whilst you're creating these things. So I, I loved that. I thought it was wonderful. It was practical and it combines not only this, this sort of um, knowledge that was passed down and it's sort of wrapping it up so it doesn't, um, doesn't get lost, right, but it's also the knowledge of these arts and these textiles and things like that that we are losing because people, we have machines that do it so fast and so quick. It's all, all of those things. So I thought that was, that was magical and that was wonderful. Are you a artsy crafty person yourself? Do you like to make things? I'm a, I'm a real tactile person and I love, I teach lots of classes. I teach online and I teach in person now that we're back in person again, 
but um, I love a partic I love something that we're doing. I love teaching something where there's a craft aspect to it. Anything where you can touch something, I'm into it. I think there's something, maybe I'm a kinesthetic learner and I like to participate. And it's so fun to, um, you know, have a product at the end and and really to learn these things to learn how to spin to learn i mean they're they're lost arts but they're being revived again and i think especially at this time when we're confronted with ai you know this is the hot topic and the hot you know news articles and news stories are about ai but i think this is such an interesting thing because when you create something, it has your life force in it. I'm an animist. You know, I see that everything has a life force. And if you, you know, have something that's made in a factory, does it have a life force? Yeah, sure. But what about something that you, that a person makes themselves, whether it's you buying a beautiful wand that's hand carved by someone, or you're creating a, um, you're creating a pesanki, which is a decorated egg, which is a wax resist decorated egg. When you make it, your energy and your thoughts go into it. That's one of the things, as you mentioned, you have in all Slavic magic, we have this concept that when we sit down to do something, we need to be in the right state of mind. We cannot be agitated, angry, upset when we sit down to make a blessing item, because if you're doing that, you're adding your agitation and sadness or anger or whatever, these unwanted emotions to the thing you're making. So now it's not the time to do it. Wait till you're in a good state of mind, a good frame of mind to, because your energy is going to it, into it. And this is something that's been handed down from generation to generation. What a, what a wise thing and what a magical thing. I mean, this, even with the veneer of Christianity over this, we can see it's really witchy and really pagan. I mean, it's really obvious and evident. I mean, one of the things, I mean, I'm gonna go on a little tangent here, but um, one of the things that I loved if discovering is um, the incantations. So there'd be these incantations that would be used for certain things. And we talk about the Zaklananya, the words, the magic words. And, and how you create an incantation. I talk about that in there. And there's a special kind of very Slavic incantation that I've seen nowhere else. But one of the things that I loved as I was looking at it is would they would be like, I call in the sun and the moon and, and moist mother earth and the 77 sister stars and blah, 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 blah. And oh, and Jesus and Mary and Joseph. <laughs> what? what? Where'd they come from? Well, you can see it's an old pagan incantation or an old, you know, magical incantation that they had to like, because of Christianity coming in, they had to like tack on something Christian so that they could still do it. So they could still, but you could see this absolutely beautiful pagan. So I just took out the Christians. <laughs> that was my edit. That was my edit. So I think that's a fair edit. Absolutely. <laughs> No, I love that. And yeah, I like the idea of, you know, magical stitches and that your intent go, it gets woven into the piece that you're doing. And you've even got in there some embroidery or cross-stitch embroidery that, you know, this one is for health and bringing health on the person who wears it. And this one is for, you know, blessings. And it's just, it's beautiful. And then you look at, you know, the traditional clothing that we see in Ukraine and you're like, ah, oh, I see it. <laughs> You know, yeah, and those designs so go across the board. And this I learned from a wonderful woman who has a um a site called 
Pesanki, P-Y-S-A-N-K-Y, Pesanki.info, Luba Petrusha. She's amazing and so knowledgeable and a wonderful craftswoman at making these gorgeous eggs. But one of the things that she said that was a revelation to me, she's like, the designs on the eggs and what they mean on the eggs is the same as the designs on the embroidery and what they mean in embroidery. So if you see a square that represents fertility, it's a square on an egg, it's a square on an embroidery, it's a square on a wood carving. These things go across the board in all design. So you can then read it like a code. You can read it like a code. If you see any design in Ukraine, you can say, oh yeah, there's a square. Oh, there's a, a diamond shape. And I know what that means. And oh, and there's a, um, a circle. And I know what that means. Or there's a starburst. And I know what that means. So you can read these designs in all the different arts. And it's amazing. So it's like a sigil. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And when you know this, like you look at designs now, the wonderful thing that I see is like we see, um, you know, we see the star, the pentagram, the pentacle in in English magic, I really think is, you know, probably goes back, but it's I think it's very English in my opinion, or maybe it's Celtic, I don't know. But we look then at, there's a six petaled rosette design. You've seen it. it's like, um, it's kind of like the um, sacred geometry, six petaled rosette. And you see those uh, sacred geometry things that have those, right? You see um, it on the, I think on the Rosicrucian cross? Rosicrucian cross is a five petal rose, but the six petal, it's like, it just like the, the, um, sacred geometry, I don't know what it is in the sacred geometry, but the, you see those, the, tr the tree of life or something they call it, but it's this sacred geometry design that has a six petal rosette repeated over and over again. That six petaled rosette is the version of, it, it is a protective symbol. So we see it carved into the beams of a house. We see it, um, uh designs put on clothing we see it on um we see it on a an egg we see it everywhere and then you know oh that's protection and i see that everywhere but that was new to me i would see these six petaled rosettes symbol and i didn't know what it meant and then i learned that as i was doing the research for this book so there were a lot of little details like that that mm -hmm. i as i was doing the research i discovered but yeah wonderful wonderful and i'm sure did it make you feel like you were getting closer to your grandmother and your ancestors as you were bringing all this together yeah I mean I really felt the spirit of Baba Yaga on one shoulder and the spirit of my grandmother on the other shoulder my mom has passed away too but my I really felt those two Baba Yaga and my grandmother the most those are the ones I really felt and really felt them you know, I'm telling my grandmother's story in a lot of ways. I don't really get into her personal story, but all of the traditions that she as a healer was doing, I was able to share those. And I felt her sense, I mean, she herself was not literate. It wasn't that she wasn't intelligent. It's that she was a farm girl. She was a rural woman and young woman. She left when she was 16 years old and came to the state. So she didn't have time to go to school. She was working on the farm. So she never, and my grandfather, neither of them knew how to read or write. So the fact that I wrote a book, I felt like her sense of pride in that someone was able to record what she did and in a way that she could never do. So yeah, that's beautiful. Beautiful. I love that. Um, before we go, you've got another book 
that's coming out. I know we haven't been talking about it today because we've been focusing on Baba Yaga, but you've got another book. I think it's coming out in September this year, which is Cancer Witch, Tending the Tides of Life. Can you tell us a little bit about that before we jump off? Yeah. So Cancer Witch is about cancer, the sun, the sun sign of cancer. <laughs> I've had people go, is this about cancer, the disease? No. <laughs> So um, Evo Dominguez Jr., who is an amazing, a wonderful leader in the witchcraft community in the States, and he's just uh, written amazing books. He's an, an, a wonderful human being. He was um, he was writing, he wrote this whole series of books and brought in co-writers that were of that sign. So since I'm in cancer, I just had my birthday in July. Oh, happy 5th. birthday. Well, we're recording this in July. <laughs> <laughs> So um, he brought in um, uh, witches that were of the sign to co-write with him. So he's the main writer on all of them, and I'm the co-writer on Cancer Witch. So um, this is a book that I am so over the moon about. I'm. It's like so brilliant. The concept is so brilliant. I was so thrilled to be a part of the project because I got to write about all the particulars of my sun sign and how we the particular kind of magic that we can do this the magical spiritual self-care that we can do where we shine where we need support and speak to all the other cancer witches out there or people who have cancer rising sign or cancer moon you know those big three you know really are important and you can identify with all of those three the moon the rising and the sun sign so um this this whole series is a gorgeous series i think it's amazing i'm super excited i can't wait to read i'm a i have a taurus moon and a leo rising so i can't read to read wait to read taurus and leo as well and it's just a wonderful wonderful series and i'm just so thrilled to be a part of it yeah wonderful wonderful well i'm excited to see that one come out as well i don't have cancer in my big three but my son is a cancer rising so yeah. might even be good to to get a little ins- more insight on him sorry what's your son i'm a virgo oh virgos. i love virgos i love virgos i have so many virgos in my life and i don't i used to call myself the virgo whisperer <laughs> As my Virgo friends would overthink everything and I'd be like, oh, we can, well, let's bring it on down. And I get them, it's going to be okay. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. I've got, I've got lots of cancer friends and I had a, I'm going to say a bad habit of cancer boyfriends for a long time. <laughs> I had some cancer boyfriends and, and, and it was, it was an interesting adventure. <laughs> I'll just <Yeah>. say <laughs> I was drawn to them, but they were not for me. I'm just going to say that much. I have a, ta- a Taurus partner now, and he's perfect for me. That yes. wonderful earth water synergy is just the best, I think. Yeah, but. yeah my my husband is, he's a Leo. So we have a Leo and Virgo, um, but he's a rising Taurus and um, his moon's in Virgo. So um, um, nice. things there. And I've got a, a water moon, I'm a Scorpio moon. So Love it. I love it. All the fun things. Now, where can people find you online? I mean, you mentioned a few before, but um, just give us the the best place for people to find you uh, online. So my website is Parlor of Wonders and your Aussie listeners will love it because it's spelled in the Aussie British way. Oh, With a U? Mm-hmm. Yes, with a U. <laughs> because Parlor without a U was taken by a magician. It's a cool little magician site, but Parlor of Wonders without a U is a magician. So that's not me. But, um, and I thought, 
you know, when Americans use that you, we kind of feel fancy. Who makes us feel fancy? So I, I said, this is a fancy parlor, so I'm going to make it O-U-R. So Parlor of Wonders is my website, parlorofwonders.com, and that's where all the things are. You can find me there. On my socials, I'm always Madame Pamita, M-A-D-A-M-E, Madame Pamita. And you can find me on my most active social is probably Instagram and YouTube are my most active ones, but I also have a Facebook and all the other things as well. So you can find me on whatever one works for you. So, yeah. Perfect. Well, thank you so, so, so much for coming on and sharing the wisdom and the behind the scenes story of how this book came out. I'm, I'm thrilled to have you here and the book is wonderful. Uh, I give it my absolute, um, five witches hats. So jump out and and get a copy of that if you can, everyone. Oh my goodness. Wasn't that an amazing episode? Madam Pamita is just wonderful. We had lots of lovely chats outside of the little recording part you see here. Uh, she goes on to tell me all about her love of Kath and Kim. And we, we talked about charms and all sorts of other stuff, which you can catch again in the suburban, which is society as a behind the scenes uncut version. So if you love this podcast and if you love the discussions with my guests, you will love getting the almost before and after of the polished version and all of the bits in between that have to be edited out for whatever reason. It is fun and you get them way in advance for when everyone else gets them. So that discount code for you again is WTPSWS10 for 10% off your first month at the Suburban Witches Society. Of course, links are always in the description box below. I hope you're having a lovely day wherever you are in the world today and I will chat with you next time.